Welcome back to the I Am Virago podcast, where we get real about the struggle, drop the occasional F-bomb, and hear how amazing Virago women imperfectly navigate the world around them. Today's guest, Melody Berenger, is the definition of entrepreneur. Having started 20 businesses over 30 years, Melody is intimately familiar with the highs and the lows of founding and running a company. Learn what it means to flip it good, Melody's mantra of launch it broken, fix it live, and how she has reinvented herself into a connection engineer, and her most recent success, the Women in Tech Regatta, a multi-city week-long conference focused on helping women make connections. So grab that cup of ambition and let's get started. I'm Melody Berenger, and to pay the bills, I am a connection engineer for women, mostly in the past for entrepreneurs and recently for women in tech. Plus, my side hustle is strawberry shortcake. What? (laughs) Yeah. What? My passion is mashing things together and creating new businesses. Okay. I I love the smashing things together, and we will get to that. But I really need to understand this uh, side hustle of strawberry shortcake. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I grew up on a strawberry farm. Oh, So I've had 20 businesses in 30 years. I'm a total startup junkie. And I started when I was eight. Because, you know, know, when you grow up on a strawberry farm, (laughs) you get opportunities as the farmer's daughter. And I got to go out and pick strawberries, you know, earlier. All the kids had to be 12, but I started when I was eight. (gasps) Um, But I don't know why I was clamoring because it's the worst job in the world (laughs) you can have. So I looked around the strawberry fields and saw the hot, hot pickers and said, I have an idea. I'm going to sell lemonade to them. And I borrowed money from my dad. Big mistake. Learning at eight years old how to borrow money. Um, and so I trundled down to the store and bought myself I, as a, actually Kool-Aid. And I set up a Kool-Aid stand the next day and started selling Kool-Aid to the strawberry pickers because I had a built-in audience. But not only that, I did not work it myself. I hired my cousin and my next door neighbor to run it. <laughs> Wait, this was at eight years old? Yeah, at eight years old. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that's that was my first business. Okay, all right. <laughs> and um, you've had 20 since then? Yeah, but right. I still sell lemonade. I took that business all the way when I was 18, started a, um, when you know those roadside stands where you buy the fruit on the side of the road? Oh, yeah. When I watched all the people come out to the farm year after year as a young girl, I thought, oh, There's an opportunity. I could bring the berries to the city because we were like an hour out of the city. Oh, yeah. So I opened, when I was 18, I opened up what's called Berry Barns and I brought, I I think it was like eight locations. That's how I started. You know, that, that was my real, real thing. And then when I met my husband, um, he said, we should sell strawberry shortcake at like the Bite of Seattle and some of the fairs. But in order to do that, back then to get in the Bite of Seattle, you had to have a restaurant. So what do I do? I get a restaurant (laughs) and I I sign a lease 365 and I get a restaurant so I can be in the bite of Seattle. That was like, really, uh, we were in the Pipe Place Market with a restaurant for 15 years. Wow. And so I had 70 employees and we started making jam, syrup, sauces, selling the shortcake in the summers at all the festivals. So I'm like big background of being in the food business. So you wanted to be in the bite of Seattle to sell shortcake. And in order to do that, mm-hmm. you had to start a restaurant. Yeah. And it ended up employing. And I just people. wanted a little hole in the wall. I was like looking for a little hole in the wall. Yeah. But um, back then, and I think it's this way now, the Pike Place Market, which is our biggest, you know, tourist landmark here in Seattle, um, like Starbucks started there. 
but the, well, they would never be able to get in now. It's all mom and pop businesses. Mm-hmm. You have to go to the historical commission to get in. You almost, you almost had to wait till somebody died off <laughs> to get a space <laughs> in the Pike Place Market. Yeah. So I got this space, and it ended up being an old French bakery, and it was fifty a, a fifty seat sit down restaurant. It was like it was like the only space available, oh, so wow. I took it. I really wanted the hole in the wall. Yep. After 15 years, I ended up with a hole in the wall. We moved three times while we were there. Uh-huh. And then I got my hole in the wall at the very end and then ended up selling that business. But I kept the strawberry shortcake business always. And um, now that's what we do. We have a little shack. We call it the Shortcake Shack. We're there every day from like May till October. So so <laughs> if that, that sounds like a, a, a great deal of work. So if that's your side hustle, I'm yeah. a little afraid to ask you what your I full know, hustle is. But what's your full hustle? Well, many years ago, I woke up one day and said, I don't have any girlfriends. And I don't hang around with any like-minded people. I was doing the food thing, 70 employees. And I really do not like managing people. It's like the worst job in the world for me. (laughs) Other people are way better at it. And um, I'm more like the visionary. I like to think up the idea, but like to actually run the day-to-day and and to manage people is not my favorite. So I woke up one day and just said, "I, I don't have anybody to talk to. I'm just kind of a workaholic. And I need girlfriends. And so I dreamed up a business called The Crave Company. Like, what do you crave? And I had a party. And I rented this swanky venue. Um, and But I made it a pajama party instead of like a normal party. So I had all these women come. And I called it The Crave Party. What do you crave? And of course, I had chocolate involved. But I had spa services. And I went around and invited a lot of women-owned businesses to come in to sell their products, you know, handbags, shoes, all the stuff we like. I had some fashion shows and pink drinks and goodie bags. And I just put what together like a girl's night out. And I had everybody Sounds wear amazing. pajamas yeah. so that we'd like let our hair down and like be real. Um, I sold three nights in a row, which I was crazy to do at the back of the time. I didn't know that. But at the beginning of that business, which was 2001, um, I ended up getting in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal within four months. And so people called me from around the country wanting to bring Crave to their city. And I just started doing these Crave parties here in Seattle like every quarter I'd have one in just wow. different venues. And I would sell them out. And women, I just found out that we all felt the same way. Like a lot of um, women would come that um, had small children and they're like, I've, I haven't been out without the husband and the kids for so long. And all these women, they would turn into like college and high school. <laughs> They're like a party night. Yeah. And I would watch this happen going, oh, I'm not the only one that needs this. And so because of the uniqueness of the pajamas and just like, this is the mashup that I was saying at the beginning that I yeah. love to do is just to mash things up. It just worked. And when I realized what I was doing was bringing women together from the community. Also, just there were women that worked at Microsoft or entrepreneurs or just moms. Everybody was coming. But they were coming to support all of the women entrepreneurs that I brought together. They were shopping and getting spa services. It was just like a nice, you know, win-win for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like everybody just really needed this kind of concept. So people then wanted to bring it to their cities. And so I I didn't know how to grow it very fast. So I ended up licensing it. Mm -hmm. And... I would like to do that again sometime in my life, but it failed because a lot of these people that wanted to bring it to their city, they were great event planners, but they were not maybe great at marketing. Mm-hmm. So it was like putting on a wedding and giving everybody a manicure and a pedicure. Plus, you had to sell a ticket to it. So it was yeah. different than putting on the wedding yeah. where the people are invited. <laughs> yes. And so 
I had 15 cities going, they all failed. They were really excited because it seemed like this fun, sexy business from the outside and they were all, they saw like the end result. But when it came to them doing it in their city, um, they weren't as connected as they thought they were um, to get the people to show up. And I could just go on and on and mm-hmm. on. But I, like I said earlier, I've tried over 20 businesses and I failed at 18 of them. <laughs> and so I could just go on and on. I wrote a book <laughs> called Craving Success about all my failures and successes, um, kind of lessons learned. Um, that, you know, <laughs> Uh, that's an, an an amazing statement that you've just made. So part of this podcast is talking to women who are doing really great things out in the world and also the struggles they have. Mm-hmm. And you've had, you know, you just said 18 failures out of 20. <laughs> what keeps you going? What what about this makes you want to keep trying? It, I shouldn't call them failures. They are all lessons and they brought me to something else. Mm. You kind of like, you start down one road and then maybe that doesn't work. You keep pivoting, pivoting. I, I call it flip it. Mm. Flip it good. Um, <laughs> if, if some's not working, kind of look at it and turn it upside down and look at it a different way. And maybe that's what you're supposed to be doing instead. So, you know, it's to me, it's a game. And I just thrive on the game of it. And so that's what keeps me going. You know, certainly we don't like to fail and it's kind of a bummer to spend some time. I would rather fail faster than slower. And so after many years of, you know, taking eight years to fail, I'd rather fail on a weekend mm-hmm. yeah, and kind of get it on my system and try it. So my new kind of thing is I, I kind of notice when I put something out into the world, so it's got to work like right away. You just got to feel it. You got to, mm-hmm. people have to gravitate towards it right away. And mm-hmm. if you get like just a little bit of, positive energy coming your way that I'm like I know it's going to work but if you have to keep trying and trying just because you're so stubborn and yes well and there's some deep wisdom in what you're saying struggle for the sake of struggle isn't what it's about (laughs) right Um, and I know I'm having worked with you for the past year on the wit regatta which I'm sure we'll be talking about in a minute you have a philosophy and the philosophy that at first drove me crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have 100% adopted myself now. And what is that philosophy? It is launch it broke and fix it live. <laughs> I know. I, I, it drives most perfectionists crazy. Like launch it broken. No way. It's got to be perfect. You know, I got to spend the next eight months like perfecting that before I launch it. I hear this a lot, like with websites or, you know, just different things that just take a while to launch. Um, You know what? Guess what? It's going to be broken anyway, even if you think it's going to be perfect. So I have a theory, like just get out there and jump, you know, put the parachute on while you're going down. But um, because no matter how long you try and all the research you do and whatever, whatever to get things perfect, it's never going to be perfect. And so get out there and like figure it out now. That's the whole thing, like fail fast now instead of failing in six months or a year, two years, sometimes eight years later, people are still hanging on to things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, get that out of your system, find out if it's going to work and then start flipping it Mm -hmm. until it works. Well, the other, the other interesting thing about that launch it broken uh, is it may take you months and months and months to find all of the things that are wrong or the errors or things like that. You launch it broken. You have, you've, you know, you've invited an army to look at your stuff and help you find all the broken things so much faster than you might otherwise. Totally. So um, the, the structure of this podcast and the way we've been doing it is talking about a recent success and then a recent struggle that you've had. And we've talked a lot about you know, your, your background and how you've got, gotten to where you are. Um, but the latest thing is the, the regatta that you put together. And I know, you know, having worked with you, you put it on in Seattle a year ago. It was a one-day event. And then you expanded it to a week-long event here in Seattle. And 
from my vantage point, it seemed like a success. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> um, about six years ago, I had a personal breakdown um, in Amsterdam. This is right after I wrote my book called Craving Success. And I, I thought it was on top of the world. I was on a high. I was out speaking about it, about my lessons learned, you know, launch it broken, fix it live, all these things. And then I got a phone call from the guy that was printing my books all over. You know, I was in these 30 cities and um, I'm a scrappy entrepreneur. So I was financing the whole thing myself. And he starts telling me, you owe me 60 grand, you're 90 days behind. And then I got another call. Somebody had literally taken my whole entire website and put their own PayPal account in it. It was um, taking all the money from that city. It was kind of a bad day for me. And I went down with a kind of like fetal position, nervous breakdown. And um, I ended up going home after spending a couple months there and just crawling into bed in Seattle. And I just kind of had the nervous breakdown for about a year. I mean, I was still working, but I, I got myself into some huge financial trouble. And the, I think the thing that depressed me the most is that it was going to take me five years to dig out. Mm -hmm. So every brilliant thing I came up with in the future for the next five years was going to go to pay for something in the past. Mm. And that's why I was in bed for the year. It was like, yeah. oh, yeah, and I turned fucking 50 that year. <laughs> that did not help anything. Yeah. You know, my friends got me aside and said, what do you love? And I said, marshmallows and flash dance. And I just said that very flippantly. Um, but that's what got me out of bed. I, I designed a dinner party called Urban Campfire. And then I saw the light again and I was able to like, oh, maybe this will work. And I started working on it. So it took me about six months. I ended up having 500 women come to that first Urban Campfire. Oh I had God. like a round stage and thought leaders stand on the stage telling their real stories of how it really it was going rather than what they were known for. Mm -hmm. Then I had a dance party and a s'more fest. <laughs> and I, I was like, I have to reinvent again. Here we go. But leading up to the Wit Regatta, um, during that time, I was on the board of a nonprofit here in Seattle called Wit, you know, Women in Tech. I just started watching the ecosystem, what was happening in Seattle. And in just a five-year period, I watched like about five organizations that support women and girls in tech go to 66 organizations. And the connection engineer that I am, I said, we should have like a resource fair and bring all these organizations together under one roof. And I can do that. So the WIT regatta, Women in Tech regatta, started out as, since we live in Seattle and we've got the Microsoft and Amazons here, let's do like a big mothership women in tech event. You know, it was just, it was, that's what all it was at the beginning. Let's have a resource fair. Let's bring all these organizations together and show Seattle like all the resources. Um, and then I realized it was going to sell out so fast and we didn't have a big enough venue. <laughs> and so many people wanted to be on the team. That's a fantastic problem to <laughs> yeah. have. The, and I, and I, you know me, I don't want to, uh, as I said earlier, I did three nights in a row on the Crave Party. So I'm like, well, I can't have a sold out event. Let's just make the venue bigger. <laughs> Let's do some breakout sessions. And then um, pretty much after that one night of success, um, I stopped everything and decided to work on it for a whole year for the next year, which we just finished this last April. And we had a Women in Tech Week regatta and we had over a thousand people come. It was amazing. We had 37 events. You know, we had Facebook involved and Google and Amazon and Microsoft. It was an amazing it was, event. It just, yeah. Everybody was involved. And, um, I was honored to be uh, a part of that event. Yeah, it was amazing. And what's coming up next? Yes. So, of course, we're going to be doing a bigger one in Seattle next year. And everything I do in Seattle, I like to bring to Vancouver, BC next because I can drive there in three hours. So, actually, <laughs> I, I whipped up to Vancouver and did this first before the Seattle one. Mm -hmm. uh, we ended up having 500 people come there. It was amazing. So, we're going to do that again. And then because I just like to 
to bring everything to Amsterdam. Um, this October, we're going to be um, doing this in Amsterdam. I'm very excited. I'm and I'm excited that you're coming too. Yeah. I'm I am I'm stoked. I'm stoked about it. Um, and so there's some things that I'm hearing um, as potential advice for others. One is just do it. Just go out and do it and try it mm-hmm. and see if you can, you know, see if it's going to work or not and if you actually like it or not. The other thing I'm hearing is make it personal and do what works for you. You like Vancouver, so you go to Vancouver. You love, yeah. you live in Seattle, so you do Seattle and you love Amsterdam. So you're doing it in Amsterdam. Yeah. You are organizing it around the things that you're passionate about. And that's making a huge difference, it yeah. sounds like. What I tell my 20-year-old self is do what you love and spend all your time doing that immediately and figure out what you do best. I had this thing that I taught people for years called 100 Things You Crave. I did this for myself first. I'm like, I have a business called Crave. I should write down what I crave. I ended up breaking it up into categories and coming up with all the things I crave and then started teaching other people. And I wish that would have come earlier in life because I, I thought I had to wear all the hats. Yep. That's why I didn't like the managing people and all of that. So I love to think first, like, what is the lifestyle I want to live? Um, and how do I design my businesses or my work around the lifestyle I want to live? Let's yeah. start there. Yeah. And I think I, I, you know, born and raised in Seattle. It's in my blood. I'm never leaving here. And then I love Vancouver. It's just something that I've always felt from living here that I can kind of get out of the country in a couple hours. There I am. So I pretty much, everything I've done in in Seattle, I bring to Vancouver next just to play there. I'd I'd rather go there and literally do business there than just play. Mm -hmm. It sounds crazy, but... It's just that it, who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I could go up there and just have fun for a couple of weeks, but I, I would rather get into the business culture, meet the people. And, and have and, real interactions. And, yes, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's fun for me. And so I'm doing that in Amsterdam now. And I, I mean, same thing. I could go to Amsterdam and just have fun like most tourists do. But like now I'm really deep into the Dutch culture. I'm like out of the little cute city into the high rise part of Amsterdam. And I'm really meeting with the people that are living there and doing business there. And it's so fascinating to me. And I, that's where I get all my new ideas mm-hmm. when, when you're traveling like that and you're meeting new people. and It keeps it fresh yeah, and exciting. Yeah. So I looked at my life this year and went, okay, I want to spend time in those three cities. So I'm going to design my a business around it. I might as well do an event in those cities because that's what, what I love to do. And then I need to stay in Seattle for the strawberry well, shortcake in the summer. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing um, that I want to be clear with um, folks listening is that you're not like a, a billionaire heiress. It's not like you have a huge, vast fund of money that you're just playing with. I mean, you're bootstrapping all of this. Totally. For some reason, I'm able to live 24 hours at a time and be okay with it. I'm not always okay. It's not always the funnest way to live, but I would rather kind of design my own life. Yeah. And be a little worried how I'm going to eat tomorrow than maybe work for the man. That's just me. <laughs> but that, I mean, it, it's just, it goes to show that you can do all of this and have these successes and and have these struggles and and you can do all that it's not doesn't require that you have a huge bankroll behind you to do it it just takes a lot of elbow grease yeah a lot of creativity yes yep and the other thing that i have noticed in working with you is you are you are the first one to ask for help and i think that's very hard for women sometimes is to raise their hand and ask for help and you are really good at it and people step up and help you do you, do you find, I mean, how, how is your relationship with asking for help? I mean, I, I haven't always been that way. Oh. I, I've always in the past kind of just like, I didn't know I could ask for help. Um, in fact, this Wit Regatta has been an amazing experience for me. And it seems to be happening everywhere I go. Everybody wants to help. So I, I'm like, wow. I mean, to me, it's new. It's oh. fairly new. 
Well, you you are um, handling it like a pro. It's well, thank you. <laughs> it's just kind of I think that people both in Vancouver and Seattle that have been working with us mm-hmm. and and experiencing what the regatta is really like, all the connections that are made. And by the way, I don't know if I brought this up yet, but the hashtag for the event is relationships are the true currency. Yes. Now we've got that on our, on t-shirts. It's everywhere because I really want people to create relationships because yes, we're putting on a tech event and yes, there's incredible speakers and there's just amazing. You'll learn so much, but my real secret goal is when people come to this event is if they meet one new friend in their life, what's what's that worth? That is like yeah. everything. Or yeah. if if it's not like 100% your best friend, you're going to meet people that are going to advance your career. Business colleagues and just yeah. and support. Absolutely. Yeah. So Melody, you have, um, you've done some amazing things in your life and you are a force to be reckoned with. What? <laughs> Thank you. What makes you a Virago? I've failed so many times. <laughs> <laughs> that I just know what it's like. So I'm not afraid to try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, that launch it broken, fix it live. That is just how I live life. And relationships, relationships are the true currency. And just knowing that, how to create relationships. I get people championing me as much as I'm championing them. And that that's an amazing way to live. Very nice. Um, so we are at the end. And I'm curious, is there anything you wish I would have asked you that I didn't? You could you could ask me why I like marshmallows. Did did we talk about marshmallows? Uh, I think you mentioned something about the urban campfire, but Melody, <laughs> why do you like marshmallows so much? <laughs> well, I grew up um, on a diet most of my life because my mom was always on Weight Watchers, so I was always steal the marshmallows in the bottom drawer. That's where they were stashed, and they were fat free, so you could have a little sugar fat free. That's why I actually told myself <laughs> that I was you know I love them because they were fat free and they're sweet and they're white, and white is my favorite color. But in the last several years, what I've realized is they're all about connection. So I, I actually honor the marshmallow. I make a marshmallow <laughs> wreath every year and then I burn it on January 1st. And I wear a lot of white in my wardrobe because of the marshmallow. Because to me, it's about letting your hair down. You know, because when you're having these kinds of vulnerable conversations with each other, you're, to me, that's like the campfire conversation, mm-hmm. which is all about the marshmallow. Yes. So next time you see a marshmallow, I just know you're going to send me a a Facebook message because everybody knows that I'm about marshmallows. And so I am. my my wall is full of people sending me marshmallow things. But that that is the true reason why I love white and the marshmallows. It all comes back to relationships. Uh, I found out something <laughs> new about you. This is very exciting. As well, you know, I'm wearing a white shirt. And, y- I'm you look, and you look stunning. <laughs> and uh, thank you for uh, sitting down with me on this very warm Seattle day. And um, I look forward to being with you in Amsterdam in October. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you, my Viragos, for listening to the I Am Virago podcast. Check out new episodes every Tuesday. If you have ideas or suggestions of who you'd like to hear from on this podcast, go to IamVirago.com slash podcast and leave a message. And remember, you are a Virago. Virago.